0: Hello, and welcome back to the Baseball Trade Values podcast. My name is Joshua Iverson, and I am the associate editor of BaseballTradeValues.com, joined, as always, by founder and owner John Bitzer. John, the season's back in action. We're about a week, week and a half into this. How are you feeling? What's it like having baseball back?
1: It's real. It's real. It's not It's not pretend anymore after all <laughs> that waiting, right? It feels good. These results are actually starting to matter. It's a little early yet, but they're real. So it feels good.
0: Yeah, it's it's real and it feels more real than even the 2020 regular season does yeah, right? because it's it's happening in April. There's there's a the normal amount of people on each roster and there's a handful of fans in the stands. Some stadiums uh-huh. more than others to potentially worrying degrees, but let's not get into that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and it, we know it's going to be a full 162 game season. It just feels a lot more important, a lot more real.
1: Yeah, that's good all around. Baseball in April is good and um not cardboard cutouts are gone real people (laughs) like you said to a certain extent and like you know you can tell it makes a difference on the players too because they're actually like you know some of it last year had a weird effect it feels like this year is more normal with the exception of all the injuries which we'll talk about
0: yeah that that's been easily the most disappointing part um of, of trying to enjoy this first week or so of baseball for me has just been everybody's getting banged up every team lots of star players and a lot of them are kind of just minor like day-to-day type things like george Springer he's out another week or so but he's he's gonna get he's gonna come back soon he's he's not gonna miss significant time with this it doesn't seem like um, but everyone's waiting to see him in a blue jays uniform and, and that's right. not happening yet and, and there's a handful of other larger injuries that we'll get to a little bit later on um, okay. on that note plenty of news to cover from these first two weeks of action Um Actually, a decent amount of activity, a little more than I expected, to be honest, um, so we should, we should probably jump right into this. Um, let's start out with what I would consider one of the stranger and probably the most, the, definitely the most unexpected transaction uh, of, of these first this first week, week and a half or so of the season. Um, and, and it's kind of in two parts here. The first part of the transaction was the Rangers deciding to cut Rugnet Odor to that he wasn't making their opening day roster, and that they were just going to DFA him and kind of eat that salary. And that caught a lot of people off guard, not because Rugnet Odor has been any good the last handful of years, but just because he had a lot of money left on that deal. I, I believe it was two years, $27 million. Yep. Yeah, and, and they just decided to cut that entirely. And then even more surprising, they found a trade for him. They, they managed to offload now to be clear they didn't offload any of the contract really uh so the yankees so he, so i should probably explain what the trade was uh ronado infielder from the rangers uh we had him at negative 27.7 million in trade value uh he heads to the yankees in exchange for two outfield prospects it's antonio cabello who had two who is at 2.1 million in trade value and josh stowers at 1.9 million um, and so the Rangers will be eating his entire salary. It's a little bit complicated here. So no money will count against the Yankees' luxury tax account, uh their luxury tax bill. But even that's a little complicated because that only applies if Odor is still on the 40 man at the end of the season, I believe. It, it gets a little bit tricky in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of some of the rules and technicalities with contracts and all that, the Yankees will still be paying Odor. League minimum this year, or at least the prorated value of that, Um, so about 500K, about 600K, somewhere in there. And, but, but beyond that, they're not paying any of his contract this year or next year. And so, in exchange for Rougned Odor at the league minimum, they gave up two formerly interesting outfield prospects. I would say those are both guys who used to have a lot more helium than they do now. They've both seen their stock drop pretty significantly the last couple years. Um, Capello was a big international signing by the Yankees, who really just hasn't panned out much, hasn't passed rookie ball. Um, And then Josh Stowers, he's been traded twice. Um, He was originally with the Mariners. He got traded to the Yankees um, in the uh, Sonny Gray trade. And so, two sort of interesting outfield prospects, which is honestly, I think, more than either you or I expected the Rangers to get back for Rugna Dodor, even assuming they would eat his entire contract.
1: Yeah. So a couple of comments. First of all, I found it uh, somewhat amusing. Um, Kevin Goldstein wrote in Fan Graphs a piece like, oh, nothing happens in April. Here's what's going on in front offices right now because <laughs> he used to work in a front office in the Astros. Mm-hmm. So his job at Fan Graphs, to a certain extent, is to tell people what it's like to be in a front office. And his whole point was nothing happens in April. <laughs> and then literally right after that, two big trades happen. Well, not big, but medium-ish. Um, So i thought that was interesting um but it's but you know to be fair this is very unusual for april and um and and i wonder to a certain degree if it's related to the injuries that we'll you know we're we're seeing and we're talking about but to your point about these two prospects that are going back to the rangers um you know they're mostly equivalent of a 40 grade uh prospect both in the sources we use um you know particularly weighted heavily towards baseball american fan graphs both have Cabello at you know basically a 40. um his performance has been down decline which is mean which is why his stock has dropped stowers has dropped even more fan graphs doesn't even relate it rate him so um but to get these two guys was a little bit of a mild surprise um we should mention in the technicalities of what new york is getting you know they're getting that salary cap benefit that tax luxury tax benefit because they don't so so the this is how do we say this? If they had used that roster spot on, you know, uh, a guy making league minimum, you know, that would count as close to 600K against their luxury tax. Mm-hmm. But in Odor's case, because on paper, the Rangers are paying all of it, then it's zero against. So they're actually saving
0: 600K, close to 600K this year. Which and if, might if, not if, sound like it matters, but they're right up against that. Yeah, right and they're now, trying, they're so really penny-pitching
1: they're really pinning pinching to, to stay under that if they can this year so that they also want to leave a little wiggle room for the trade deadline as well. So that was one of their main motivations, I think, for making this deal because they could cut 600K from the luxury tax calculation. And if he makes it on the team next year, it would do it again, although he probably won't care next year because what they really want to care about this year is that that tax number resetting. So it's in effect an extra sort of 600k benefit to the Yankees. So in addition to the 20, so, you know, it's about call it 28 million benefit. Um you know, so they're they're so they're getting a little bit more benefit which you can sort of squint and say okay, that's why they're making this deal. Stowers they don't seem to care about. Cabello maybe a little bit, but you know, they wanted to make the deal. And the obviously the other point people are talking about is Odor at least has a history of having power even though he strikes out too much and he's got a whole bunch of holes in his game now, you know, that short porch, short porch in Yankee stadium could wake him up a little bit. So they're thinking, yeah, there's a little upside too. So that's how we see it.
0: Yeah. And a little bit of a factor here, obviously the Yankees have a fairly deep farm system. It's thinned Mm -hmm. out a little bit in recent years, but it still is. It's not, it's not bad by any means. Um, and Stowers will be Rule 5 eligible after the season. It, it didn't seem like there was necessarily going to be room on the 40-man for him. I don't know no. if the team would have picked him anyway, but that's at least worth noting. And Cabello would have been... Uh, Cabello? It might be Cabello. Uh, either way. Antonio <laughs> might have been... Rule, or w- will be Rule 5 eligible the following off-season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's pretty significant for a guy who's 20 years old and hasn't made it out of rookie ball quite yet. Right. Uh, so, so that, that's consideration there that might even lower their values just a tiny bit more. Yeah. Um, but either way, I think it's it, it's a it's a move that looks big because of some of the names in it. Like Ruben to the door is a name everybody knows. He was a pretty productive bat for a season or two there. Uh, looked, and he signed that big contract there and he had the big, you know, the, the whole Jose Bautista incident, made old national headlines for that. So that's a name everyone knows. And then I think uh, Cabello has a little bit of hype left too. Some people that might not have realized how far his stock has fallen. And so he's got the big international prospect name, like, oh, wow, they really traded this guy for Rugnet Odor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think all things considered, and, and despite the kind of money <laughs> changing hands and all that, it's a fairly minor trade. Uh, the Yankees do, as you mentioned, get that luxury tax benefit. All it costs them is a couple guys they probably weren't going to be able to protect in the Rule 5 draft anyway. And the Rangers, they were going to have to pay Odor's entire contract no matter what, but they at least get a couple lottery tickets out of it now. Yeah. And so it's a perfectly fair deal. And I can even squint from the Yankees' side. I mean, I don't have any faith in Rubenet Odor. He's, I think, I think in 2017 and 2019, he had like the two worst 30 homer seasons in Major League history or something like that by OPS Plus Um, or WRC Plus or something along those lines Uh, but he is only 27 and as you mentioned he's got the pop and maybe you squint and see him as like a pretty solid left-handed pinch hitter for them balancing out uh, the lineup a little bit since they are pretty right-handed heavy and maybe he takes advantage of that short porch so mm-hmm. and, and i think that gamble is worth a couple of these small prospects especially when you factor in the benefit of getting out from 600k and in, in luxury tax considerations mm-hmm. agreed so that that was a trade that really caught me off guard but it's one of those you know the more you look at it the more you think of it the more sense it makes um a, a trade that maybe maybe a little less surprising but the timing maybe more surprising here is the brewers trading Orlando Arcia uh their starting shortstop for to start the season uh, to the Atlanta Braves and so uh, first of all this was a bit of a surprise uh, when when news broke that the brewers were going to trade Arcia and that we didn't know what team it was yet it wasn't too shocking there was there was a little bit of speculation about them potentially moving him in the offseason Uh, The timing is a little bit weird since we are a week into the season now, but it it wasn't super shocking. But once you heard the Braves as a landing spot, that's where it got a little bit strange. Obviously, they have Dansby Swanson, who had a kind of a breakout season in 2020, uh, but they also were sort of lacking in in infield depth. Um, Erie Adrianza had made the club on a minor league deal, uh, but left the club for some personal matter, went on the restricted list. And... Uh, he, he he. will be reportedly returning in the near future, but maybe they wanted a bit of a stopgap in Arcia, and maybe they see him as a guy who could even potentially back up at third base, which is a bit of a weak spot for them. Uh, but not the most natural fit. A lot of people, when the news broke, they were thinking, "Oh, it's to the Padres," since uh, since Fernando Tatis Jr. just went down with that big injury. But again, I guess sh- I should probably <laughs> I should probably name the trade itself first. Uh, so the Braves picked up Arcia, who we had at 7.6 million in median trade value from the Brewers in, extent, in exchange they sent back two right-handed pitchers, uh Patrick Weigel at 2.1 million in trade value and Chad Sabotka at 0.1 million. So, this trade was accepted by our model as a moderate overpay. And and the gap is probably not as big as our numbers have it. Um I'll let you get into that a little bit about kind of the trend we're seeing uh with some of these glove-first infielders and and kind of the adjustments we have and haven't made for those
1: yeah so one of the trends we saw in the offseason particularly in the free agent market was that to your point glove first infielders were going for significantly less than their on paper value and we use that as kind of a benchmark so colton wong for example went for less than that you know if you look at the um projections from the major projections you know steamer and zips and pakoda you'll see colton wong's between a two and three more player and if you just do the math back of the envelope you'd say well he's worth far more than even the 12 and a half that the cardinals would have you know before they before they non-tendered it or they declined his contract option so like what is going on here and what's going on is usually there's far too many uh infielders for the market to actually absorb so there's a supply and demand problem so they're thinking oh, okay we can pay Wong much less than he's worth on paper you know because there's just too many to choose from Cesar Hernandez fell into that he got even less this year than last year even though he was better last year so so Arcia, um, you could ar- argue that you Know is a victim to that math as well um, because he's another glove first, he's never hit above league average. Um, but you know, the projection systems you know, <clears throat> Steamer has him at 1.1, 1. 1, Zips at 0. 0.6, Koto at 1.45. You just average that out or weight them. You know, he's a one ish war player, so he should be worth more than you know, you know, on paper than the two million he's making, right? Which is pretty low. Mm-hmm. Further um in his case what's different about him is he's he's primarily a shortstop so we have to sort of say okay well the market didn't discount for shortstops as much yes jose iglesias but he's always discounted for some reason so you could have argued that well the reds needed a shortstop couldn't they have given up something like that package for arcia but then you think, okay, well, the Brewers in the same division, maybe they don't want to help out their rival. So, but certainly you would think shortstop, because it's the most, you know, defensively valued position on the field typically, wouldn't be sub- subject to that discount. So that's why we hadn't discounted it. Even though we're seeing that trend, we thought, okay, does it only apply to second baseman or does it apply to weak hitting shortstops too? And so that's kind of the open issue, which is why we hadn't downgraded it. Now that we see this data point, we might say, okay, that's another data point in favor of it may just be all weak hitting infielders. We're not sure yet because we're also seeing a trend where shortstops and second base, they're, they're all just sort of mingling together in one pool now. There used to be more of a separation, more of a, okay, you're just a shortstop. Now there's a lot more fluidity. So it could be just that the whole pool of infielders is being discounted. So we're going to watch that space carefully, but I suspect that's what's happening here.
0: Mm-hmm. And I'd I'd even argue that Orlando Orlando Arcia is one of the tougher types of player to evaluate, where he's the rare case of he had a lot of pedigree as a prospect, and he's shown a few flashes of it, but he's never really been that productive of a major league player, and usually when you have a guy like that, they spend a couple years in the league, maybe bounce around to a team or two, and eventually they're stuck. You know they're non-tendered they end up on all these minor league deals whatever but it seems like arcia has been just good enough to stick around uh but but not good enough to really produce a ton of on-field value and so he kind of falls into this gray area where yeah he's he's still young and he still shows all these flashes and he still has the pedigree and he still is producing a little bit but he's also a pretty major disappointment and so that is a difficult type of player to judge and say, how far has their value really fallen? Um, And it seems here uh, with what we were mentioning, as far as kind of the market's response to glove first infielders, it seems, it seems the value fell a little bit farther than we necessarily anticipated. Um, And Weigel and Sabotka are at least each a little bit interesting. Uh, We have Sabotka at 0.1 and I, it's very obvious why, uh, but I've always I've always had a little bit of interest in him, so maybe I'd put him just personally a little bit higher. Uh, but that it's still very clearly no massive return. Like you're, I think you're 100% right that there's there's no question that the Reds could have beaten this return. Um, the only question there is whether the Brewers would have been on board with sending him to a, a division rival. Yeah. Okay, so those were the two. The two major trades, there were a handful of minor trades, and we'll get to them in a minute, uh, but there were some much more significant transactions. Uh, these all happened pretty close to opening day, uh, so that that was over a week now ago at this point, uh, so we're just going to touch on these fairly quickly. The biggest one that everybody waited all off season four, and it finally happened was the Mets signing Francisco Lindor to the huge extension. He tops Fernando Tatis Jr.'s extension by $1 million because we know how petty Major League Baseball <laughs> players can be. And so it's a it's a 10-year, $341 million contract extension. Uh, and, it, and it does not begin until next season. So he's still making the same salary uh, for 2021. Plus, though, a $21 million signing bonus, and then $32 million a year for each of the next 10 seasons after that, uh, w- with some deferrals as well, uh, as as has become <laughs> the rage these days. It seems like with these larger contracts, and even some of the smaller contracts. Uh, but they they locked him up. They did what they really needed to do there. Uh, Steve Cohen finally got his big fish there. They didn't they didn't just acquire him. They they committed to him. They committed to keeping him there in new york and i mean you can there's some arguments you can make you know francisco lindor had his one of his worst offensive seasons in 2020 but then again a lot of stars did 2020 was a weird season it was only 60 games they didn't have video so many reasons to just discount any any struggles that season and when when you look at it at the end of the day this is a superstar shortstop the glove is going to play for a handful more years the bats at least above average, if not well above average. And the personality is, is the type that can be a, and obviously <laughs> we're in 2021, personality is not the driving force in contracts and in transactions anymore, the way it used to be. But in a case like this, where everybody who's ever met Francisco Lindor just loves him to death, it's at least a bit of a factor here. So it's, hard to hard to be, hard to complain about this deal in any way.
1: Yeah, He's very entertaining guy. I remember just a couple of weeks ago watching a spring training game where he was just joking around and taking control. Just a lot of swagger on the field and like showing leadership. And like, okay, you can't take your eyes off of that guy. So, you know, fans will want to come and see him, right? He's a star attraction. Um, but just to crunch the numbers for a bit, our model has him at um, 346.7 across those additional 11 years or no, total 11 years with this one against this total salary of 344.7. So it's two on paper a surplus of two which means it's a very fair deal basically right on the nose. Uh now obviously with contracts that big, you know, <laughs> it doesn't really matter, you know, because you're you're you know, who knows? You can't predict 10 or 11 years in the future so that's ridiculous you can only use what models you have what methods you have to kind of like looking at aging curves and typical things like this is what we do it's what the guys that project with run projection systems do and this is what you get but that's also what the teams do to kind of project out so you get some at least some grounding in what is fair value so even though it's ridiculously speculative to think how that's going to play out on the one hand, you do have to kind of work a model to kind of get to that number, and that number is fair. And part of what makes it fair is those deferrals that you mentioned. Um, so he's really not getting as much on paper as he says, because a lot of that contracts can be paid after he retires. So um, so that decreases the net uh, present value of it. So all in all, you get, with a little bit of market value thrown in, you get a fair deal.
0: Yeah, and it's also worth noting he has a 15-team no-trade clause um, not that I expect that to come up <laughs> in any way um, until maybe just the last year or two of that deal, and even then, fairly unlikely. Yeah. Um, yeah, by that point, he'll have by that point he'll have ten five rights, so he'll be able to block a trade anywhere if he wants to. Um, and and feel free, listeners, feel free to clip me on this if if two three years from now everything has shifted, you know. I I wouldn't put it past it's the Mets, like <laughs> I could see something insane happening where suddenly Cohen Cohen has to sell the team for some crazy reason and they have a new owner who's cheap and now it's just an old Arenado situation all over again. <laughs> but I don't think that's anywhere near likely. I think the most likely bet here is that Francisco Lindor does spend these next eleven seasons now in a Mets uniform and it's not necessarily um it's not his trade value isn't necessarily a factor at all yeah, yeah. at any point there but right. it's it's worth like you said it's worth modeling out and seeing making sure that our model's still on track here that we're still estimating player value correctly and accurately
1: yeah as best as you can for a 10-year a t- a extension yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right let's uh let's cut that number in half then let's let's look at a couple of five-year extensions so the first one the angels locked up david fletcher Love the guy. <laughs> he he's kind of developed a a huge cult following on Twitter, on baseball Twitter, and and even on the field. You love the value that he brings. He's a multi-positional guy, great glove, uh, decent hitter, great contact hitter, the type of player that has been more undervalued in today's game. And I think you see that a little bit with this contract extension. Uh, now, obviously, it's covering uh, it's covering his. I believe, let's see here, what year does this start in? (laughs) Um, So he would be arbitration eligible next season if he had not signed this deal. So and it will begin in 2021. So it's covering one year of league minimum and then three arbitration years. It covers one guaranteed season of free agency and then two additional club options that could be getting as many as three seasons. Uh, In total, it's five years, $26 million guaranteed. And then with an $8 million club option for 2026, $8.5 million for 2027. So I think this is an uh, an extension, uh, excuse my pun not intended, an extension of the trend that we're seeing with some of these glove-first infielders not necessarily getting as much as their value would say they're worth. Right. Um, but it's also a case mm-hmm. where Fletcher was never a top prospect, and he's kind of broken out onto the scene, and so he might not—he doesn't have this huge signing bonus to go back on. So he's the type of player who's maybe more willing to accept a below-market deal. And I mean, it, it works for both sides. There's 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 a fine line for a player like David Fletcher between very valuable multi-position guy starts every day, and you know maybe the bat slips a little bit, and he's an 85 wRC plus, and suddenly he's a bench player so there's a fine line there there's plenty of risk on the angel side as well so it's not an egregiously low contract but i believe it is a little a little lower than than a lot of people might expect but that's largely a factor of where he is in his uh contract status as far as arbitration yeah. won't be arbitration eligible until next season
1: yeah and that's usually when you get um some surplus uh mm-hmm. the is you know there's give and take on both sides right so the the um on the team side you get more surplus particularly in the upfront years where he's only making two this year and four next year for example but he's putting up a lot more value than that and then you know from the player's side maybe he could have made more money if he'd stuck it out through the arbitration system and free agency but you don't know um and you know from a risk standpoint from the team side it's really not that big a deal you know it at, in his peak he'll be making four, then six, then six. I mean, that's not terribly unaffordable. And that's gonna be less than some of the arbitration numbers we've seen. So it's it feels like it's, you know, it's price security on both sides, right? The team gets cost control, secured you know, they've got the, the cost certainty and so does the player. So um and we just talked about infielders going for less than market value. So even when you factor that in, there's still plenty of surplus here. So it's kind of give and take on both sides. So we've got you know, if you apply just a 10% discount on the market value, you know, we've got them around um, 33.6 still in surplus. Um, we'll see how the market goes. If we get more data points that, you know, infielders are going for less than that, that may, that number will fall, but it's not going to fall that much. So maybe down to the twenties. So it's still a good deal for the team. And I would argue a good deal for the player as well. It a little bit, even though Fletcher is younger it reminds me of the Whitmer Field deal a little bit mm-hmm. a few years ago because he was a second baseman at the time and just a little bit older and he not not wasn't a great prospect you know so like but he was obviously a good sort of gamer player and kind of a similar profile so like you think yeah he took a similar deal as well and there was still plenty of surplus on that so and it worked out well for the Royals so um, it's sort of like that only a, a yeah. younger version of it
0: yeah I like that comparison a lot uh, and I think something else you mentioned there that you, you said like he might not be making as much as he would have in arbitration but i don't i don't know if that's necessarily true just given the kind of skill set that arbitration tends to value um he he's the type of guy who who will usually hit pretty close to 300 it seems like and yeah. obviously arbitration cares about batting average but he's never going to hit many homers he's probably not going to drive in too many runs he might score a decent number because he'll be uh, occasionally he'll hit in front of Mike Trout in that lineup, and that's that's the best way to score runs is being in front of Mike Trout and getting on base <laughs> a lot. Yeah. Uh, and, and he's not a huge speed guy, so he's not going to steal a ton of bases either. So he doesn't have any of those counting stats that arbitration seems to love. Um, so he's probably not necessarily the type that would have gotten buckets and buckets of money in arbitration. I don't think you were implying that in any way.
1: Um, no, not at all. But and on top of that, he part. gets yeah. on top of that he gets a
0: one and a half million bonus this season, going from the league minimum to making two million. It's it's effectively a nice little signing bonus for him. So it makes yeah of sense.
1: yeah, and you know, the arbitration system does not typically reward by high baseball IQ. The little <laughs> things that the guys do. This is one of those guys that does all these little things right. People love him yeah. in the game, right? You know, so yeah. that's what he's getting paid for too, a little bit.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> all right, and then another guy that I just absolutely love <laughs> who gets who gets another one of these very below market rate uh but very deserved extensions is the twin signed randy dobnak to a five-year extension uh dobnak you'll probably recall from two post seasons ago i believe 2019 um it, it came out that he he was driving uh for uber in the off season and then suddenly he's starting a playoff game or at least pitching in a playoff game uh, against the yankees and there was a fun little fun little banter there with cabron maybin about it uh, that was that was really the way that most people got to know him. Uh, but then he came into, he, he was quietly pretty productive last season. And then he came into spring this year uh, with a very a new and improved slider and just looking like a completely different pitcher and, and a very productive one. And even though he didn't make the Twins rotation out of spring training because they added guys like Jay Happ uh, and they brought, uh, they have Michael Pineda coming back uh, from his suspension and injury and all that. And so they didn't really have room for him in the rotation, but he's obviously, t- players are going to get hurt this year. He's going to make some starts. He's one of the better six starters in the league. And they decided, you know what, let's, and this is a guy who I believe was un- went undrafted and went signed out of junior college or a D2 school or something along those lines. He has one of those stories that's so easy to root for.
1: He was an indie ball too, wasn't
0: yeah. he? For yeah. yeah, he was. <clears throat> and, and so it's not a ton of money it's uh, i'm trying to find the guarantee here it's five years 9.25 million dollars guaranteed uh which again not a whole lot there <laughs> uh, and, and it comes with three very affordable team options uh, 6 million in 2026 7 million in 2027 eight and a half million in 2028 But this is a guy who hasn't made a lot of money as a big leaguer. He hasn't had a guaranteed spot in the big leagues until this deal. He didn't get any real signing bonus. I believe he, I want to say his signing bonus was $500, which is absurd to me. I think that's the lowest signing bonus I've ever heard of. (laughs) Um, And he gets all this guaranteed money. And so that's great for him. Even if it is paying him below market rate, he's not the kind of guy that can really afford to bet on himself. Just given kind of his history. Yeah, uh, but he's going to be a very productive piece for the Twins, and and he gets to say stay with the team that bet on him, and you know he seems like he's pretty comfortable there, so
1: I like it. Who among us would not would would turn down nine point two five million dollars, plus and there's some upside too if he makes some bonus mm-hmm. incentives. You know, who who among us would turn that down if we were just like an Uber driver, you know, two years ago? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> That's a rags to riches story. So no, but but you know now that he is an established major leaguer to some extent. I mean, yes, you could argue that's a little bit below market value, but you also could argue that you know it's fleeting, right? And he's still not quite that established. He's a swing man. Is he a starter? Is he a reliever? What is he? Uh, is he a fisher foul? But that's the trend a lot of teams are doing now, obviously. So he's. But he's, you know, he's pitching well, and who knows? I mean, he's got that slider, and you know what if that slider disappears? So from his point of view, I think the cost certainty makes tons of sense.
0: Yeah, and, and, and he's and... the kind of guy you might even see, <clears throat> even even with this contract now, you might even see him shuttling back and forth between AAA and the majors every now and then. He's that kind of swing man where you use him up for four or five innings, yeah, and maybe right. you send him down to get a fresh arm for the next week or something. Yeah. And so something like that would really – a put a damper on some of his numbers, and B delay his arbitration potentially, and so now he doesn't have to worry about that. He's got he's got some money locked in. He can just go out there pitch, do his best to pitch well enough to uh, get those team options exercised in in the last three years there, but even if he doesn't he's got this money guaranteed he's i'm not gonna say he's set for life but he's he's pretty set here he's pretty comfortable
1: it's it's not bad yeah right <clears throat> so um on paper so we have his fair value at uh, 14 million through those eight years or the, before it gets negative um and he's you know 9.25 guaranteed so you know 4.7 or so in circles so the twins have some buffer there in case things go south, he's got cost certainty. You know, it's not like the biggest surplus in the world, but that's the kind of picture he is right now. So, mm-hmm. everybody wins, I think.
0: And there's a wide, wide range on this. I mean, yeah, right. given his track record, there's a chance this was all smoke and mirrors and he's a triple-A pitcher for the rest of his career and the Twins have just quote-unquote wasted $10 million or so. Uh, but given the way he looked in spring and his Major League track record of success and the way that slider was looking there's also a chance he's the most affordable third or fourth starter in the big leagues like like we, we could be looking at him like that in a year or two of oh All my right. goodness how do they get him on this steal of a contract kind of the way yeah. we looked at maybe chris archer back when he was in his prime mm-hmm. um and, and this is even cheaper than that so yeah. Wide range of outcomes but but what it comes down to is there's no risk for the twins, and there's a whole lot of certainty for Dobnak, and that's it, it just came together in a very very pleasant way.
1: Yeah. Yay.
0: <laughs> and if, if you haven't seen what Randy Dobnak looks like, I I implore you to look up <laughs> his name right now. He's he's got a he's got some pretty good style, pretty nice little caterpillar. Got some
1: fa- got some facial hair going. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Okay, so now we have a flood of relatively minor transactions, as you kind of expect near the beginning of a the season. Uh, there's some early injuries, everyone's trying to kind of shuffle around their roster still, some guys that didn't necessarily make the team out of opening or on opening day, but other teams have interest. A lot of these, and I'm gonna say the first five, I think? Yeah, first five of these involve the Angels shuffling around their bullpen. <laughs> So, well, let's start with one of the more recent deals here. Uh, the Pirates picked up Kyle Keller from the Angels for cash considerations and DFA'd Edgar Santana to make room there. Keller's been bouncing around the waiver wire a little bit, hasn't established himself as a big leaguer. He misses bats, walks a lot of guys too, and it's just kind of a it's an upside play for the Pirates, and it's, it's really one that they need, <laughs> given that they're trying to really flip any pieces they can for future help. And so, no reason to overanalyze this. They, the Pirates picked up Kyle Keller.
1: <laughs> and we had him at 0.1, and it was cash considerations yeah. going back, so you figure Fairdale.
0: Yep, exactly. Okay, then the Angels, this is where they kind of start their run here. So they signed Noe Ramirez, which is a little funny, because Ramirez was one of the two pieces they traded to the Cincinnati Reds over the off season to acquire uh, Raciel Iglesias. Rice Iglesias, excuse me. And so th- that trade was Noe Ramirez and I believe was that Levan Soto, uh, Leo Rivas. Leo Rivas, okay. Yeah. Right. Uh, infield prospect. Um, and so so what you see here is is Reds fans somewhat justifiably uh, clowning on their team for for this whole saga. But Noe Ramirez wasn't fantastic in the spring, and and we. Discussed at the time of the Iglesias trade, the motivation there being Cincinnati was offloading cash. They're a team that relies a lot on gate revenue, spent a lot heading into the 2020 season, were expecting to have this big successful year, and then suddenly it gets cut short. And they still make the playoffs, but don't really go anywhere. They can't have fans all season, and they're left kind of in the red and, and trying to look to offload some of this salary. And Rysel Iglesias was one of the victims of that, so... This is really just an extension of that. As an additional move here, uh, Ty Buttry was optioned to AAA and then later announced he was stepping away from baseball. Uh, which is, you know, if if you if you're interested in that storyline, uh, please please do look into it. Uh, he he posted a really heartfelt message on social media, and it really just explained how difficult this move was for him and how he's been working so hard at a game he doesn't love. And I I have a lot of respect for a guy that. You know can can walk away from something like that even with the success that he's had in the big league so best of luck to him on whatever he does next but absolutely uh, this th- this is a part of them this is just another move of the angels completely rehauling this bullpen in like the days before the season began <laughs> yeah totally there's yeah there are a few moves there so
1: yeah no but i i didn't i mean i think buttry's that they knew about buttry's retirement you know, ahead of time so they had to pick up some replacements for him um, you probably mentioned Hoyt as well. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, so they just had to do some reshuffling. So, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. it's okay. Actually, hadn't missed, mani- uh, excuse me, <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't mentioned Hoyt yet, uh, but he's the next one on this list. So, the Angels also yeah. acquired righty reliever James Hoyt from the Marlins for cash considerations. The Marlins also had a little bit of a bullpen shuffle these last couple weeks. Um, but Hoyt, he, Hoyt's been one that's always been a little bit interesting for me. He's always been, he debuted pretty late in his career. He's pretty old, uh, but he had pretty decent stuff when he debuted with Houston uh unfortunately he's seen his velocity fall uh to the low 90s and even even below 90 high 80s and hasn't necessarily had a ton of success but he's not the worst kind of you know seventh or eighth arm out of your bullpen and that's really what the what the angels were looking for most of these moves were pretty pretty depth focused And then the last two, which are the biggest ones and the biggest (laughs) names here, were Steve Ciszek and Tony Watson. Uh, Neither player made their team out of camp. Uh, Ciszek, I believe, with the Astros, yes, and Watson with the Phillies. Uh, They were both in camp on minor league deals, didn't make either of those bullpens. And so the Angels jumped on both of them, signed them both to one-year, $1 million major league contracts immediately stuck them in the bullpen and they're immediately pitching high leverage innings. And so that's a pair <laughs> that that's pretty indicative of the state of the angels bullpen. Relievers, uh, man. <laughs> and what are you also gonna do? the state of relievers. Yes. <laughs> and I don't hate it though. I mean, even if <laughs> no, the haven't been great, Seashek and Watson have pretty reliable track records and they're both the type of funky weird arm angle types that, you know, you, you, you just trust to continue to be effective even as they age, maybe lose a little bit of velocity. Yeah. So right. they're they're not gonna <clears throat> be any of the best relievers in the league. Those days are well behind them, but they could be fairly productive for for Los Angeles. And and I, I I liked the pickups. I understood the pickups, and I liked them. It was just kind of kind of comical when you consider the uh, <laughs> the other moves that they have also made and how they basically added. Uh, they basically signed half of their bullpen within a day or two <laughs> yeah, leading, right. up to spring, uh, leading up to opening day, which makes you kind of wonder what the heck they were doing in the off-season then.
1: But, you know, unlike, say, uh, another team that we've bashed, uh, you know, the Rockies spending what 100 million on a bullpen a few years ago mm-hmm. the angels are doing it on the bargain bin right mm-hmm. so a well, million here a million there and then bleak minimum here like you know there's just you know and they're shuffling through a little bit uh, just to see who, there's spaghetti strategy see who sticks right so and this is fine these are all guys whose who's trade values are in the zeros and one you know ish so this is not really anything valuation-wise, to be worried about, right? Or budget-wise, even. They're just like, okay, let's see who sticks. And uh, hopefully, you know, a couple of these guys do.
0: Yeah, that's a good point with the Rockies comparison there. Uh, because as we mentioned in the last episode, in that article that was kind of a bit of a takedown on the uh, on Rockies' leadership there, uh, there was an analytics... I uh, remember the analytics department within the Rockies that recommended to uh, to Montfort <clears throat> and uh, Breidich... You know we can't we shouldn't be spending a lot of money on middle relievers that's the most over that's the worst way to spend money that's the worst one of the worst assets you can commit money to in baseball and of course you see the Astros turn around and do exactly that <laughs> but what we've seen in recent years especially is the top end of the market seems like a fairly reasonable investment in relievers that's guys like a as Chapman uh, Josh Hader would be one Liam Hendricks is looking like one like those guys are fairly safe And when you get to those like top five or so relievers in the game, you can even maybe include Kenley Jansen in that. I know he's had his struggles with the Dodgers, but I think as a whole that's been a fairly successful contract there. Then you have this valley of middle relievers that are very hit or miss. And it's not necessarily saying never sign a middle reliever to a decent contract or a non-elite reliever to a decent contract, but be very careful in doing so because there's always going to be these players like Sech and Watson. These veterans that have more left in the tank because relievers are so hard to predict and you can get them on the cheap and they'll be effective for you. Or maybe there's a young prospect within your system that breaks out that season and he's throwing 97 and hitting the corners and wipe out slider and he can come up and be an impact arm for you. Or even a failed starting pitching prospect. We've seen that a ton in the last 10 years or so. Converting those guys to the bullpen and seeing them have a lot of success. So it's it's very easy to build... If you're going to be out of the market on those elite, elite relievers, it's very easy to build a decent bullpen on the cheap. Uh, Maybe not the most reliable thing, uh, but we see it happen all the time. And and there's plenty of flexibility to be had there. When you're not committing $8 million a year to Jake McGee, if you're just committing a million dollars to Tony Watson and he doesn't work out, okay, I'll dump him in May (laughs) and and i'll turn to the next guy and hope he performs better versus if mcgee isn't doing well on a three year 24 million dollar contract or whatever it was you're kind of stuck with it yeah so I, I think and, this is very clearly the preferred approach to building a bullpen if you're not going to be spending at the top of the market
1: absolutely and and you mentioned you know it's not always the most reliable investment because a lot of guys have been getting hurt you know we'll talk about that um you know so you know the Um, there's a risk factor here so you don't want to spend a lot only to see that pitcher get hurt Um, the um, you know then there's always guys you mentioned like converted starters you know there's some buzz around Julian Merriweather, the Blue Jays. And, you know, there's always like a guy like that that comes around like, what, where'd he come from? You know, like, oh, they just picked him out of that. Yeah, he was he was in their depth organization. Then he's like, now he's a stud. So um, relievers come and go like that. So it's I agree. It's not a, it's not a lot of – you don't want to invest a whole lot because there's so many ways to get that uh, filled. The top of the market, though, I would argue sometimes it is. Like Kinley Jansen, I think, is definitely – You know, falling on some hard times if you watch him pitch, you know, so it's not always the most reliable. Yes. Chapman has been pretty reliable. Hendricks, though, was DFA'd several times until he found his groove. So but it still makes you wonder how long is he going to stay at the top of his game? You know, he's been there two years in a row now. So but I'm not totally convinced. He could just fall off the map anytime and I wouldn't be totally surprised, you know. So I'm not totally sure that's as safe as bad as people think either. I just think relievers in general, you know, you don't want to invest a whole lot of money on them.
0: Uh, One thing that's not necessarily super relevant here, um, but one thing I want to mention here about relievers while we're on the subject is just how impressed I am with your ability, John, to, to identify some of these breakout guys before a lot of other people do. So you did it last season. You really beat me to... And I consider myself... I keep an eye on this stuff pretty closely, but you really beat me to both Gregory Soto and Chris Heston. Those were kind of your two big guys that you were <laughs> on, and I was like, really? You sure about these guys? And I think, a <laughs> function of, I think it's a function of how we've mentioned in the past that when we divvy up the updates it's usually i'm taking the hitters you're taking right. the pitchers and so right. you're you're seeing these guys change right. week to week month to month whatever right this time though i'm proud to be on the same page as you <laughs> on julian <laughs> merryweather i had my eye on him as uh, toward the end of last season as he's he's kind of interesting and then i think uh, mike petriello is on him now too like his mm-hmm. first appearance in yankee stadium this year was just he's shoving 99 on the corners i think he almost threw an immaculate inning mm-hmm. um he's looking really impressive and it's, it's always just fun to identify these guys and kind of be on him first it's something that jeff sullivan of fangraphs <laughs> was really great about and i think it's part of what got him hired by the rays uh but just a just a little aside right there <laughs> oh, thank you you know it's funny with
1: merriweather he was i remember him as being the kind of like the you know, when Josh Donaldson was traded to Cleveland back when they still had like an August waiver deadline, basically the Indians got him for one month. They got Donaldson for one month. And the token return was Julian Merriweather, who at the time was looking like, you know, a 0.1 value bust. You know, He, he was and... like a 27
0: year old. Right. <laughs> disappointing starting <laughs> pitching prospect in double A. Yeah.
1: It was like, OK, you can have this guy You know, just to complete the deal. <laughs> and so to have him turn it around like that is, is amazing.
0: Uh, it's fun to watch. He's he's yeah. just, he's just looking filthy right now. And who knows, two years from now, he might be out of the league because he can't find the strike zone and he undergoes surgery or something. That's just how relievers work. Yeah. But for and, now, and, he's fun, enjoying.
1: Yeah, and we're going to need a little bit more of a bigger sample size before <laughs> we start bumping up his values, but we're watching yeah. him closely.
0: Yeah. Any other names in that list for you right now while we're on the subject <laughs> that, I, I, that I need to be looking at? <clears throat> um yeah,
1: not off the top of my head, but you know, there okay. will be now that'll be a topic mm-hmm. of a future podcast, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. And then one last Angels move here, and John, would you believe me if I said it wasn't a relief pitcher? No. Of course not. It's it's catcher Juan Gratterall. <laughs> <laughs> the Blue Jays picked up Gratterall from the Angels for cash considerations. Again, okay. just a depth catcher, just one of the one of the zero point one types, just shuffling and finding a new home
1: it was interesting because the blue jays also dfa reese mcguire mm-hmm. so like okay they basically just traded one depth catcher for another one um and as it turned out mcguire went unclaimed and so he's still in their organization So that's an organization that has a lot of catchers <laughs> i'm not sure
0: why they needed yet another one <clears throat> yeah uh, can't ever have too much depth but i don't <laughs> it feels like was mcguire out of options do you know he was he was okay, and it, okay. his stock
1: had dropped dramatically so yeah um, there's not much value there, but, but okay. nonetheless, that's they got a lot of they got a lot of catchers. Mm-hmm.
0: And they're all like at least a little bit interesting, so <laughs> keep an eye on that position. Over, I, I would say across the border, but they're playing in Dunedin, so <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, w- while we're on Blue Jays news, I, I just thought I'd mention really quick they they signed their general manager Ross Atkins to a five year extension. Uh, they seem they seem happy with the job he's done there, and I don't blame him. They he's yeah. he's contributed to building what looks like a pretty strong team right now and with with just an incredible farm system of talent still waiting in the wings even after graduating vlad jr and biggio and bichette so that's uh, right uh, in my opinion a quite deserved contract extension there. i
1: agree completely mm-hmm.
0: all right just a couple more quick ones here the royal excuse me the orioles <laughs> uh they picked up right-handed pitcher adam Plutko from the indians out of options uh picking up a depth arm there who wasn't going to make cleveland's roster anything interesting there about adam pletko
1: nothing whatsoever except yeah he he was from ucla that's my alma mater so yeah go Bruins. (laughs) but he had zero value and they got him for a buck cash consideration so yeah he's just a depth guy
0: all right and then i believe yes last trade here finally is the Padres acquired right-handed pitcher James Norwood from the Cubs. They had DFA'd him. Um, In exchange for right-handed pitching prospect Daurice Valdez, it appears. Never seen that name in my life. I (laughs) Um, have! (laughs) Wow, of course you have. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so just another one of these fairly minor trades. All the other ones to this point have been cash considerations. This one's for a very minor pitching prospect here yeah i mean you uh, could
1: argue it's it's just um the padres needed some depth because they're starting to see some injuries as well um and so they needed the present value of norwood who's at the major league level for you know here's a here's a low level prospect that can shoot they're probably gonna need him for a couple of years to the Cubs, who will be rebuilding soon so works both ways
0: and there's also just just using this as a as a kind of a jumping off point to talk about the cubs really quick their pitching staff is really fascinating where they have this rotation of like pretty command focused, like low V low ground ball types. And then their entire bullpen is these guys who are going to strike out like two batters per inning and also <laughs> walk two batters per inning. Like the it, Norwood while he was there, like Craig Kimbrell's control has gone out the window. Dylan Maples is another one of these guys. Like it, it, it's a, it's a weird pitching staff over there where they're saying like, Hey, if, if you take the amalgamation of our, of our, starting rotation in our bullpen will probably have a league average walk rate uh but that'll be <laughs> it'll be one of the better better control based rotations in baseball and one of the worst control based bullpens in baseball so just a fun little thing they got going there i it don't know is. if it'll actually be fun to watch because there's nothing more frustrating to watch than a bullpen that just walks a bunch of guys um uh, but it's fun to watch from afar i would say
1: I would mention Craig Breslow's name here because he was hired a year or two ago for their front office in in pitching development. He's a very smart guy, former relief pitcher himself, bounced around quite a few years. Um, But he's got a plan, Craig does. And, you know, at least they're interesting. He's tinkering. You can see him tinkering with the guys. And, you know, like Trevor Williams comes out and suddenly has a great start, like after a horrible year last year. Something's happening there. I don't – we'll see if it's – if it's going to last but he's basically you know he's doing what he can with what he's given
0: yeah put craig breslow into that conversation with sam fold and uh and chris young as as ivy league graduate major league players who are now transitioning into significant roles uh, with teams uh, the newest trend that we're seeing right Okay, now just a couple quick injury uh, injury notes, as you alluded to earlier in the show. I just have two names pulled up here. I don't know if you have other ones uh, that you'd like to discuss. Um, but two of the more interesting, I'd say, uh, offseason signings, uh, both of these guys got one-year deals. Uh, James Paxton, it was just announced that he'll be, he's been recommended for Tommy John surgery, and he would miss, of course, the entirety of the you know, 2021 season, and at least a little bit of the 2022 season, it seems like. That just, it blows. I mean, it felt like such a good story that the Mariners brought back their guy. They love James Paxton there, and obviously he's been dealing with injuries his entire career. Uh, but it just seemed like such a fun story, and it would have been so fun for him to come back, and even if he wasn't dominant, just be at least... A usable a solid pitcher for them even if he was banged up even if he just made 15 starts whatever would have been such a fun story instead it's sounding like i I believe he made one start this season and he's already seems to be going under the knife so that's just a big bummer and and it's a potential loss for them in terms of he, he could have been a decent trade chip probably not getting a ton for him because of his injury history but they could have gotten a little something and and now they're probably not getting anything
1: yeah all right so from an evaluation standpoint he's toast right mm-hmm. um because even if he doesn't get the John surgery the fact that a surgeon recommended it means that he's he's pretty far gone mm-hmm. unfortunately um point number one point number two is we all this is not a surprise if anybody follows baseball and knows paxton's history i mean injuries you know the greatest predictor of future injury is previous injury mm-hmm. anybody who's been an athlete you know, once you start to get an egg injury or once you, you know, you're only as strong as the weakest link in your chain. Right. And I'm a former athlete and I can tell you, I've gotten lots of injuries <laughs> and it's only getting worse as I get older. And I know certain things are never going to heal. Right. So there's, that's just a reality. And for time, it just gets worse as, as you age. So, you know, so I don't see Paxton, unfortunately, you know, magically getting better. It's going to either get worse or certainly at, at you know, not going to get any better, you know, at best. So, you know, given the fact that he's probably going to have Tommy John surgery, he that's a $10 million salary down the way down the drain for the Mariners. Unfortunately,
0: mm-hmm. I, I'm with you, man. I, <laughs> I did not pitch above the high school level and I am dreading what my shoulder is going to look like in 20 years. <laughs> it's already not great. I, I can't wait till it gets worse. <laughs> yeah. Um. Speaking of shoulders, that that's a very, unfortunate transition <laughs> uh, speaking of shoulders trevor rosenthal uh, underwent thoracic outlet surgery this week as well uh the A's signed him as kind of the the cherry on top of a late flurry of moves in their offseason reworked their whole bullpen uh, reallocated a lot of resources after trading chris davis's contract to texas they suddenly had money to spend and this was kind of the last the last big deal they made was signing their new closer trevor rosenthal he was placed on the injured list right before opening day, and now it's been discovered that, or just very recently, it was discovered that he needed to undergo thoracic outlet surgery. He went ahead and did the surgery, and he'll be reevaluated in eight weeks. It's looking like at least a 12-week recovery time total. Um, but regardless, no good way to put this. Uh, after a spring outing, he was having trouble keeping his velocity up, and he was feeling tingling in his, in his fingers, and that's never good for a pitcher. And it's it's again, it's a bummer for a guy who's had a lot of injuries throughout his career and really looked like he came into his own uh, with San Diego last and, and with Kansas City last season. And he yeah. finally got a new closer spot and it looked like he was on kind of one of these pillow contracts where he could have played it into a multi-year deal next offseason if he, if he performed well as Oakland's closer. And now that just doesn't look like it's going to happen, even if he does come back and have a solid <laughs> month or two at the end of the season, teams aren't going to trust that arm that shoulder that elbow enough to give him multiple years i don't think so a big bummer for him in terms of his future career
1: no doubt no doubt big bummer for him obviously for the a's who went out of their way i mean you gotta wonder he stayed on the market for a while to the point where he was still available and the a's finally got him in mid-february so um you gotta wonder if teams knew that he wasn't totally healthy um and you know the a's kind of bent over backwards to sign him unfortunately that looks like it's going to go down the drain as well now you know the the prognosis for pitchers who get this type of surgery yeah some of them come back but they're not usually the same they usually see a downturn in velocity they never quite get that velocity back and rosenthal's whole thing was velocity right so he was high 90s and that was that was his main source of value and now if he comes back and he's like Sean Benaya and he's throwing 89, 90, 90. Like, what's the point of that, right? Um, he may not be that low, but you know, maybe he's like 93. So, um, if and when he does come back, so that's a serious blow uh, from a valuation standpoint. I've knocked him down to 3.2 um, field value against a 10.6 net present value salary because there's some deferments in there. So, the A's are. Basically in the hole for at least seven million there in value, um, so it's not a good story for anybody.
0: Yeah, really the poster child, <clears> at <throat> least in my opinion, of thoracic outlet was Matt Harvey, and yeah. I think we've all seen what happened to his career after that. He's actually made two decent-ish starts this year for the Orioles. Um, they both came against the Red Sox, and their offense has been pretty putrid this year. So I'm not yeah. saying Matt Harvey's back because he isn't. And he's, like, struggling to – very occasionally he hits 95 these days. And he was a guy who was kind of – he was kind of Jacob deGrom before Jacob deGrom. He was throwing 98, 99 as a starter and going fairly deep into games and then blew out his elbow, blew out his shoulder, and and now he is what he is. So you really hope Rosenthal can be one of those few guys that can avoid something like that. Uh, But it doesn't look pretty, and I guess we'll have to wait a couple months and see.
1: Yeah.
0: So after those kind of bummers, uh, do, do you have any other significant injuries that stood out to you?
1: I, mean, I just want to say, you know, when we hear these injury news updates, we will follow them very carefully. I mean, but some of them matter more than others. Um, like the Tatis news, you know, everyone thought, oh my God, that's horrible. You know, they just signed him for $340 million. It's down, you know, it's not that bad. He's young. He'll recover. Another thing is the younger you are, the faster you recover and the generally more likely you are to recover from him. Most of these debilitating injuries are more affected, you know, for guys over 30 who are starting to feel the aches and pains and father time is starting to catch up with them. And like I said earlier, they're, they're, some of those aches and pains are just never going to go away. With a guy who's 21, 22, he's fine. He'll be okay. So so, you know, and then, you know, a little bit, you know, hamstrings here and there. You get get a lot of those. It's the beginning of the year. People are not quite warmed up yet. You know, so none of those are really mattering in terms of their uh, value. So it's only these major ones and typically with these older guys where it matters. So I just want to make that general point. Mm
0: -hmm. And I again, this is very anecdotal. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it feels like we're seeing a bit of an uptick and yeah. injuries to start this season and that could be mm. could be a factor of some of the uncertainty of maybe players didn't really know either they didn't know how to train themselves this off season after kind of a weird 2020 season maybe some of their training was impeded by covid restrictions during the off season mm. maybe they didn't know how to train since we didn't know for sure until pretty late in the off season that the 2021 season would start on time whole lot of factors there and even just maybe you know maybe these guys bodies are used to going all at it for 162 games and once they get used to only 60 games maybe they're just not quite as durable the next year Mm -hmm. i don't know a whole lot of factors there but it does seem like guys are getting banged up across the league the half the a's opening day bullpen (laughs) is on the list now right um josh donaldson another significant injury for the twins Uh, i could i could go down the list here i mentioned george springer earlier it it seems like a lot again i'm 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 cautioning against saying that it is a lot more than usual because i don't know for sure i haven't seen any articles written about that yet Um, but it's there's a lot of reasons to think that it might be slightly increasing this year
1: yeah and so I'm more worried about it on the pitching side, frankly, because I think there's you're going to see a lot more of those. Um, another one we'll mention, AJ Pock of the A's just got put on the IL again. Um, biceps uh, strain, and that's the umpteenth injury for him. So it's not looking good for him. I mean, at a certain point, you got to say that that's that's not going well. For, for his value keeps going down each time he gets injured. Uh, we keep adjusting it down. Um, so he's probably not a starter. He's just never been able to hold a, a workload. And so we're going to see a lot more of these types of things where, and that's another re- thing that's sort of coalescing with the point I made about Dobnak, which is, you know a lot of these guys who you might have thought of starters are just going to be like two to three inning guys at best you know and we're starting to see that more and more you know they're going to be tandem guys and so the 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 gms who kind of planned for that the dodgers with friedman and the seven starters and two of them are in the bullpen but you know one or two of those guys are going to go down so you still have five good starters you know aj preller san diego you know signed kim as an extra infielder even when he didn't need to but then tatis gets injured and so now he's playing kim so the guys who prepared for this who had the depth um i think are looking good um the teams that did not prepare for the depth are are suddenly holding the bag and that's going to happen more and more as we as we go through the season i'm, I'm fearing
0: mm-hmm. all right Um uh, one last transaction i want to mention here more is kind of a uh more of kind of a step as transition here, a stepping off point is the Yankees did sign left-handed pitcher, Mike Montgomery to a minor league deal. Um, He, he reportedly looked fairly good in some off season, uh, off season workouts. And so the Yankees end up grabbing him. We've talked at length before about some of their depth issues and some of their, their issues of where they're going to find innings from this rotation that you have a couple guys, three guys uh, in Domingo Herman, Corey Kluber and Tyler, Gla- or, excuse me, not Tyler Glass. Now his former teammate, <laughs> Jameson Tyone, uh who combined to throw like one inning last year, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. And so you've got that. And so this is this is very much just a depth move for Mike Montgomery. It'll be fun if some point he's in the rotation alongside Jordan Montgomery, but that's <laughs> that's that's just a that's nothing. <laughs> um, and again, more just as a stepping off point to step into. Our trade of the week and something uh, that you identify that we want to discuss which is the yankees shortstop conundrum so i'll um i'll go ahead and read the trade of the trade of the week and then i'll let you take it away from here Uh, so it's submitted by user nodin not in uh we've featured them multiple times before a very active user on the site so thank you for the submission here it's between the rockies and yankees and yes it's the trade you would expect here (laughs) in this deal the yankees add trevor story who we have at 30.8 million dollars in trade value, in exchange for quote unquote third baseman Miguel Andujar at 1.3 million in trade value and right-handed pitcher Davy Garcia at 29.7. So you recommended this trade. You wanted to talk a little bit about you're on the East Coast. You're a little bit more in tune with some of the Yankees discourse. Um, in regards to shortstop, in regards to Gleyber Torres. So I'll I'll let you take it away from here, John.
1: So, all right. So I live in the New York City area. So, you know, everybody in the New York City area freaks out after every single game, whether they win or lose, right? (laughs) And this is true for the Yankees and Mets. It's probably true for the Boston Red Sox as well. This is an overactive fan base, overactive media. Everybody, oh, my God, Gleyber Torres makes an error. We need a new shortstop. So everybody (laughs) starts thinking, we got to trade for story. So that's part one. Part two is the Yankees, okay, think they can get anybody. Sometimes if, you know – it doesn't even matter, like, what they give up for. him, But anyway, so, um, but nonetheless, there is something here. Glybert Torres is really not a shortstop. He really should be playing second base. He's got the bat, doesn't quite have the glove for shortstop. Um, so they've got a conundrum two-point where they've got LeMahieu at second, but he can play third, he can play first. It's probably shiftable. Um, so they've got a little bit of a logjam here. And so you question, well, where are they going to put Story? So they put him at shortstop. Um they can afford to lose in this proposal david garcia miguel andohar andohar has done nothing for the last three years and is currently on the IL yet again uh, but david garcia uh there's there's a high variance there he's either um you know there's some reliever risk there um he's not the the tallest pitcher you'll ever see but um he's certainly been effective so and the rockies tend to favor uh pitchers in trades so you would think if they're going to trade story you know they would they would favor a pitcher like this so i can see it makes sense it's not the most intuitive because obviously early we've talked about the rockies they think they can contend so they're not going to trade story part of story's value is there's a draft pick associated with them if they qo them so um all that considered i don't think it's an overpay i think it's a fair deal um you know as as not in it here uh but it's interesting to see um Kind of the the up votes and down votes. The Yankees are getting some up votes. The Rockies not so much. So I, it's an interesting one from a couple angles here.
0: Yeah, from purely an on field standpoint, I think it makes a ton of sense. I think you know the Yankees have seen some success with LeMahieu coming from Coors to Yankee Stadium and obviously Trevor Story, Nolan Arenado, these types of superstars, they aren't the type whose numbers are truly inflated by their stadium. To a small extent, yes, but they're going to continue to be stud-level hitters outside of Coors. Uh, and you are uniting Story with his former teammate, LeMay Hughes. That's another little personal angle to it that I'm sure Yankees fans would love. Um, and obviously he's hes probably the best shortstop they could get at this point, if they really were concerned about Torres about his defense uh story's a gold glove type shortstop with a great bat like that you can't go wrong there at all and they're the type of team who could trade for him and sign him to a big extension kind of like the Mets did with Lindor and it would make a ton of sense however the part that doesn't work really for me is of course the money so we mentioned very early on in this episode when we were talking about the Rudin and odor deal, how close they are to the luxury tax and how they really do not want to go over that kind of self-imposed limit there. And Story is making $18.5 million this year. And the Rockies have shown some willingness to eat salary, but are they really going to eat Story's entire salary, or at the very least a large portion of it, like the Rangers did with Odor, are, are they really going to do that with where they are right now? And maybe you can argue that with the recent news that the All-Star game being relocated to Colorado, that the increased revenue from that game, maybe that makes it a little bit easier. I don't know. But there's an argument to be made as well from a PR standpoint that it looks awful to be paying, even if, even if we think it's a fair... And our model says that it's a fair deal to trade Nolan Arenado and cover $50 million of his salary for the return that they got. Uh, that was really slammed in in the public media, in national media. And so it would look absolutely awful to do that and then eat Story's entire salary to trade him to the Yankees of all teams. So I think I think that's <laughs> a little tough. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, that's a great point. <clears throat> and there isn't necessarily a clear... Like contract swap that could happen here either. Um, obviously, you look at the Yankees and you think about bad contracts. The first one that comes to mind is John Carlos Stanton. And while I would love, with every fiber <laughs> of my body, every cell, every atom of my body, to see John Carlos Stanton in Coors Field, it's not going to happen. That's the, probably the worst contract in baseball right now. It one is, of the yeah. most unmovable, immovable. He's, he's top uh, of uh, our list. In, yeah. In terms of negative value, yeah. Yeah. And so, just just not gonna happen. That's that's <laughs> no. <laughs> right. Um. So so I I just have a hard time seeing this really line up. There's there's like I said there's not a clear salary dump that could be made here to kind of offset the story salary that you're bringing in. And I think they're going to as they continue to do they're going to prioritize moves that are better for the luxury tax than they are for on-field team
1: yep you absolutely are right so uh yeah i think it's unrealistic from that point of view as well now that you mentioned that so
0: good but but again just from a pure like fit context i think it works a lot i think davy garcia is exactly the type of arm that the rockies would be interested in and that could really be kind of a boomer bust type guy for them i mean I I see a little bit of similarity there between Garcia and Herman Marquez. Marquez also isn't the biggest guy there. I I think he has put on a couple pounds in the last handful of years, but you maybe see a little bit of similarity there. And and the Rockies seem like they're maybe doing a little bit better at developing starting pitching in recent years. So maybe Mm Garcia is another guy they could get a little bit extra out of, and they'll always need pitching there. So don't mind that Mm -hmm. as a fit. And... I don't, I don't know about Andujar in here. I, I think this is just another case of <laughs> Andujar being in every single Yankees trade proposal ever. We used to be with, we used to be with Clint Fraser, but now that Clint Fraser's good, suddenly he's untradeable to Yankees fans because that's how it works. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um,
1: yeah. Okay. So, so it's gonna be Florial and Andujar now, is what. Oh was. yes, yes, yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and in a year or two, if Davy Garcia hasn't impressed at the major league level, boom, he's in that category too. Yeah. Um, right. But uh, again, there's a framework here that makes sense from one angle, but the money just kills it for me. Yeah. Fair, fair uh, point. Yeah. Regardless, though, it's a it's a fun talking point, and it's it's the logical thing to kind of to think about. It's the logical next step for them if you really do believe they need to make an upgrade at shortstop. So thanks again to note in, not in. Uh, I'm really having a rough one today with pronunciation. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> uh, but thank you again for that submission. Really fun one to talk about. And now we have one last little segment here for today's show. We want to discuss some of the adjustments that we have made. Uh, So we've alluded to it a little bit. We've discussed some of the injury stuff. We've discussed some of the positional stuff in terms of kind of infield defense. Uh, But there are a handful of other changes that that john made to the trade values uh, for the site uh kind of corresponding with opening day roster decisions and spring training results and things along those lines so i'll let you kind of take it away from here there's a handful of names on this list that i want to talk about but i'm gonna let you start us off john
1: yeah so when the, when at the end of spring training you know front offices made a bunch of moves right so some some guys made the team some for the most part we don't pay much attention or give much credence to spring training results, why would you? Because for most veterans, they're just, it's training. That's why it's called that. They're just like getting their timing. If they're a hitter, they're getting their feel for their pitches, They're a pitcher. But the exception is with some cases where these particularly um, with kind of post prospects or prospects that are right on the bubble of making their teams or have had some some major league playing time before. Like at that point in their career, they've been given an opportunity and they either need to seize it and stick with the club or or not and so we're seeing that if they if they didn't stick with the club after spring, so in other words they really had to kind of prove themselves to win a job and there's a handful of players that we noticed did not win the job they just did not prove themselves now you could argue in some cases it was for other reasons besides performance but what we've identified as of players that it seems to be performance related so the most obvious example that is carter keybone with the nationals he basically had third third base kind of penciled in for him he had it on a silver platter he didn't he didn't take it he didn't earn it and so he was sent down yet again and this has been a recurring pattern for the last year or two so his stock is dropped i mean we 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 think that's a tell that when front offices you know they're gonna have to burn an option year on these guys and when they do it's like it's not a vote of confidence so as a result his stock has dropped so carter Keyboom was I think at the fifties and then forties and thirties, now down to the twenties in terms of trade value. He's still got some. He's only twenty three. You know, he had a good minor league track record. He's got some tools. But at certain some point he's gotta put up or shut up and he's at that point and he knows it. So so there is some questions now with him. Um, Brendan Rogers is kind of the Colorado version of him, although in his case it's injuries. And he's just one of these guys that gets continually injured. And at a certain point, it's like, okay, enough already. That's that's going to drop his stock as well. He's down to 17. Uh, Spencer Howard of the Phillies, that's a borderline case. He didn't drop that much, but he was called up last year. and it was a weird year last year, but it seemed like all systems were go and he could have made that rotation, but he did not. Um, and there's a bunch of other guys that, you know, they were given opportunities last year or so, and they just haven't stuck and they're on a downward trend. Oscar Mercado, who are after a good year at Cleveland, really had a terrible year last year, and he's looked bad ever since, and he keeps dropping. Luis Renifo of the Angels keeps dropping. Uh, we mentioned Reese McGuire. He got DFA'd. But there's other guys, too, like the Tigers, you know, have given opportunities to Isaac Paredes, um, <clears throat> you know, he's dropping. He has made it. Daz Cameron's another one. The Pirates, Covey, Cole Tucker. They had to option him. So these are all guys who have just not performed well. Assan Diaz, the Marlins, who was one of the key players traded in the Yelich trade a couple of years ago. He was brought up two years ago to be the second baseman in the future. He has not seized that job. Jazz Chisholm beat him out. and Jazz Chisholm has not been that great either, but he's beaten out Asan Diaz. So when you see these battles and you see these losers, we're going to have to call a spade a spade and drop their, their value. Uh, we've known that and we've seen that, um, that if we don't, then we look bad. So we think that's the uh, the proper thing to do. Um, <clears throat> the flip side of that, well, no, the exception to that is when they are optioned for other reasons. Nico Horner of the Cubs had a really strong uh, spring training, but um, for all indications where he was, he was optioned for service time and depth reasons. And you see that we talked a lot about the injuries. We talked about a lot the need for depth. And we have to sort of be careful here because we're speculating a little bit. Um uh, some places it's clear, it's performance related. Other cases it's not clear when it's not clear, we're not going to speculate. I don't I don't believe in that. So um, that was one case. We mentioned Davey Garcia, who was also sort of optioned. I think the Yankees need the depth, so it's not like he had a bad spring. That's just I think they they want to save him. Same with Sixto Sanchez and the Marlins, who had a great uh, call up last year. Now he's since been put on the IL, but nonetheless, the time when he was optioned. I think they were thinking that's a very strong young pitching staff. And they were thinking, okay, it's either service time reasons or depth reasons or some combination there. But it wasn't performance related. So we haven't docked any of those guys values. So we have to be careful there. And and that's true for most of the other players as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Uh, I'm I'm pretty sure Sixto was confirmed to be uh, more about building up his innings and his shoulder. uh, Right. First to first, it was about building up the innings because he got a late start to camp. I believe it was either COVID or a visa issue. Yeah. Uh, But it, but it was confirmed that it wasn't actually service time at all. Uh, Just based on where he is with service time, they would have had to leave him down there for like multiple months to gain that extra year. So it, it was just purely about, he was a, he was a week or two behind everyone else. And the plan was to bring him back up after a week or two. And then, and then the shoulders started barking and they had to put put him on the injured list. That's right. Uh, So just to clarify that really quick. Um, a couple of names that you already mentioned, but that I want to kind of mention further here. Um, so, so Spencer Howard, you said uh, we're not entirely sure how much of it was just kind of roster decisions versus how much of it was he he really did disappoint. His stock has fallen a little bit. Uh, so just having the numbers in front of me right here, he's dropped from thirty nine six to thirty two five. So not a mm-hmm. huge drop. Right. Uh, compare that to a guy like Carter Keyboom. Who I'm struggling to pull up his old value right now, uh, but I'm assuming that was I'm assuming that was a larger drop off. He's yeah. really been a massive, massive disappointment. Um, he he had LASIK eye surgery over the off season, and so people are thinking, okay, maybe that's what it was. Maybe his he just wasn't able to see at the plate. We've seen that with a lot of guys. Tommy Pham is a big one that comes to mind, where they start hitting after they can actually see the ball. Imagine mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but instead, he was just awful in spring again uh, still really struggling and his stock seems like it's it's a huge downward (laughs) arrow there um diaz is also especially disappointing to me he was very much farther along uh in the path uh to to the major leagues than jazz chisholm diaz had been there i believe an extra season compared to chisholm Uh, But still lost out on that job because he was just that bad. He couldn't buy a hit in spring training. He was striking out a ton. And as you mentioned, Chisholm hasn't been fantastic in his first week here at the big league level either. Or first week at the big league level in 2021, I should say. But he's still up there. They still haven't made any kind of move there. They still believe in Chisholm more than Diaz at this point. Um, and, and so that's just disappointing and then one last one to just mention kind of a technicality here so nicky lopez is included here because he originally was optioned yeah and was then almost immediately recalled yeah. uh, to replace adalberto mondesi who went on the uh, injured list i've been a huge nicky lopez fan since he was a prospect so it's disappointing to see the way his stock is falling but he's just not hitting and just a yeah. glove alone isn't enough to get by these days um there's still hope there that maybe he becomes kind of a, a david fletcher type at some point down the road he had pretty good contact rates in the minor leagues and the glove is the glove is legit uh, but for now again it's just a downward arrow he's, he's trending in the wrong direction
1: yeah um and just to be complete michael chavis has been trading and trending i mean we see a lot of red sox fans who've given up on him he's always in trade proposals it seems from red sox fans he's his talk stock has been down for a while now um you know Austin Allen of the A's had didn't didn't win the backup catcher job. Hasn't totally shown that he can hit at the major league level either, so his stock has dropped. Uh, one guy that I'm sort of curious about is Lamont Wade, who was traded from the Twins to the Giants in the offseason. One thing he's always had is is, is um, a good eye. He walks a lot, and that's usually, you know, there's there's been some studies that that correlates well to major league success. Max Muncie comes to law you know, lots of guys who had at least that skill going for them tend to have a higher probability of making it. So it's interesting that he hasn't quite, you know, put it together yet. And he was optioned as well. So his, his stock has fallen a little bit, but he still has that to kind of hang his head on. We'll see if that makes a difference on the line.
0: I, I believe I saw that that was, again, just a bit more of a roster crunch kind of situation where mm-hmm. I don't even know. I don't know if even entering camp he had too much of a chance at a spot. Uh, but I, I, and this might be, I might be biased here because I, I believe I only really recall seeing much about him in the first couple weeks of spring. Uh, but it seemed like the Giants were happy about kind of how his power was developing because he really was one of those like a little bit of speed, but mostly walks and contact kind of guys that doesn't really perform as well at the major league level because once you get to the big league level, why am I going to pitch around to you if you're not going to put it out of the park? <laughs> right. Um, but, but it does seem like he is developing a bit of that power, and maybe they just want to see a little bit more for him, maybe force their hand. So I'm, I'm keeping an eye on him there. I agree yeah, that he should okay. be fairly low. He was traded to the Giants in a fairly minor trade this offseason. Uh, so I, I don't think his stock is going up by any means, but I'm, I'm keeping an eye on him there. He, he He's probably the one from this list that I I feel the least bad about, if that makes sense. Obviously not the best player on this list, uh, but if there's a downward arrow on all the guys on this list, I think his is the smallest. <clears throat> I agree with you. Yeah, there's something there. Um, so the inverse of that is
1: there. Are, there's a small list of players who really kind of outperform their expectations and whose stock has has risen, and who made their well, almost all of them made their teams, but um, but they were like, huh, <laughs> you know, you weren't expecting that, and 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 you know. They were bubble cases, but they forced their way on, and good for them. They earned their spot. Jonathan India of the Reds, whose stock, you know, if you follow prospect evaluators, was not terribly high. Um, you know, and we know he's a former first-round draft pick, so we knew there was pedigree or some upside there, but it wasn't – no nobody was really seeing him as a future superstar but he's starting to play out of his head i mean he had a great spring and it's been carrying over into the major leagues level since he was uh since he made the team so you know he's up to 18 in our model uh marcano who's been sort of in the you know sort of a middle-ish prospect for the padres people saw him as a uh, as a future utility infielder which he may turn out to be probably so uh, doesn't have a lot of power, but he, he really is hitting well and cuts some eyes. And uh, we mentioned Tatis' injuries, so he might start to get some playing time there. Um, Mickey Moniak, former first overall pick for the Phillies. A lot of people thought, okay, this guy's a bust. He hasn't done anything in the last couple of years. But he he looked different this spring uh he's probably the most interesting case here he added muscle he adjusted his swing a lot of scouts were like huh that's mickey moniac he looks great so even though he was optioned down he looks like he's changed his trajectory a little bit um jb bokaskas whose stock had fallen way down due to injuries and reliever now he's sort of pegged as okay he's only a reliever so that had an impact and i think that's still true but at least he finally looks healthy and he's dealing so he he, he's he's up to his stock a bit too and finally eli white <clears throat> who was sort of a forgotten man sort of been traded in sort of a long you know sort of a low depth guy 40th level he may still be that but he was quite impressive in spring he came out of nowhere and he, he really did make claim for the ranger center fielder job so um it's like wow he came out of nowhere in a way so it's only a handful of guys and we're being very judicious about you know i'm sure others had had good springs too but we want to just call out these names and saying yes they've upped their stock
0: yeah i i love all five of these guys <laughs> so much <laughs> i mean i mean marcona Mark was a guy that i I might have heard of once or twice heading into this spring, and suddenly he makes the roster. That's that's an incredible story. Yeah. India was a first-round pick, and was really seen as this like pretty polished college bat that like you know pretty fair bet to hit 280, 20 bombs kind of thing. Uh, and then just never really did much of anything. And then finally this year he breaks out enough to the point that they're really the Reds are really screwing around with their infield defense to make room for him and and he's making it worth it. He's crushing it at the major league level now. Admittedly small sample, but he's he's keeping it going for now. Ammoniac was a guy who kind of fell into that Ryan Sweeney territory for me as well of just kind of, you know yeah. not a not an excellent defender to stick in center field, not enough power for a corner, got some contact, got some on base, but not a ton. It, it kinda kind of pre-power breakout Robbie Grossman. <laughs> uh, and so now that he's actually adjusted his swing, putting some more thump into it, that's really encouraging to see. Bukaskas had 14 strikeouts and no walks in seven to mm-hmm. two-thirds innings in the spring. Really exciting there. Again, he's a reliever now, but if there, he's one of the better relief prospects, I'd say, these days. You know, Relief prospects aren't super common, uh, but he's looking pretty polished and pretty major league re- ready so we could see him in the next few weeks. And then Eli White, yeah, he also fell into kind of that kind of that Lamont Wade territory for me of like he's got a good uh, he's got a good eye, he's got some versatility that's nice, but not a whole lot of thump. And he had a strong spring and like you mentioned, he made the roster and he's playing a lot for the Rangers. So it, it, I think all five of these guys really deserve the upgrade and they're five of the more interesting young players right now at least at the major league <laughs> level with with the exception of Moniac, but I think he'll be there soon enough.
1: Yeah, and and just one other point on, on Eli White. So he's in this sort of class of guys, I would mention maybe Zach McKinstry of the Dodgers and Chaz McCormick mm-hmm. of the Astros, who are sort of like fourth outfielder types, sort of fringy bench guys, but they're gritty, they're hitting, they didn't have a lot of pedigree, but they're... They're forcing their way onto rosters And they're proving themselves useful In sort of a way that the teams can't ignore them So I could have added those two guys as well But White sort of stands in For that whole group of, of, of hitters
0: John, I'm, I'm biting my tongue But I, I think I'm going to say it Are, are, are they Ben Zobris types? <laughs> Eli White, former infielder. Yeah, they presumably are. Presumably might back up a little bit there. Zach McKinstry <laughs> plays some middle infield. Uh, I think McCormick's an outfield ex- outfielder. Yeah, I think he, I yeah. might be wrong on that. Uh, but the versatility certainly plays a role there as well. There you go. All right, so I'll, I'll have that quick little article uh, linked in the show notes, as always. Uh, so you can take a look at the full list of names. We got to all the names on the upgrade side. There were a handful we didn't really go too deep on on the downgrade side. You can take a look at Take a look at those names. Take a look at their values, um, and, and feel free to drop us any suggestions if you think there's game names we missed. I mean, we're not we're not going to upgrade everybody who hit 400 in spring or whatever, yeah. uh, because it's it's spring. But there are some edge cases where you know their performance and then the teams resulting transactions involving them do indicate a stock increase or a stock decrease there. So go ahead and let us know if there's anyone important you think we missed john is there anything else you think we need to cover this week or or do you think this was a a pretty comprehensive episode (laughs) i i
1: I think we got it i think it was a surprisingly busy week um Mm -hmm. and i do think we're still in in um the time period where there's still some roster shuffling going on particularly on the edges we mentioned there's going to be more injuries unfortunately so that may prompt a couple of minor trades a couple of You know who knows? There may be a free agent signing out of the blue. Shane Green is still out there. People, he (laughs) needs a reliever. I don't know what's going on there, but. (laughs)
0: Oh yeah, he must just be holding out for something, some some crazy contract demand or something. I don't know. I I don't know why he's still out there, Uh, but I also wouldn't be too shocked to see another couple extensions kind of filtering these next couple weeks. It seemed like extension season was very delayed this year and also a little bit smaller than usual. I mean, I I feel like we usually see a lot of extensions starting kind of mid-spring and this year we saw like one or two near the back end in Sal Perez and Lance McCullers and then these three that we mentioned today, Fletcher, Lindor and, uh, and Dobnak all kind of in the last day or two before the season started. So... Uh, I, there might be something more in the tank there. There might not, but it's something I'm keeping an eye on. Yeah, I all right, but if, uh, if there's nothing else for now, then that'll do it for this week. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to shoot us an email at baseballtradevalues@gmail.com at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at Baseball Values. Also, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on whichever your preferred provider is so you don't miss a single episode here. We'll be back in two weeks to break down whatever news we have to cover in that time span. Potentially, you know, as the season goes on, we'll get into some more, more creative ideas, some more articles, things like that. Uh, not exactly sure what that looks like right now, but we'll keep you guys updated when we do know. So, until that next episode two weeks from now, stay safe and enjoy Major League Baseball. The season is back. I couldn't be happier. Me too. Awesome. Thanks, John.
1: Thanks, Josh.